And you're very welcome to episode 88 of the Irish Photography Podcast. And tonight we have an extra special guest. It's the one, the only, Mr. Thomas Heaton. I don't know who you are, but welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. Sit back, relax, and listen about cameras, gear, settings, stories, and all things photography. Join Dermot and Darren on Ireland's Best Photography Podcast. Let's go. And you're very welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. My name is Darren. I'm your host this evening. And like I said from the intro, we're really excited because we've got a special guest on this evening. And again, as always, it's not you, Dermot, in Limerick. But besides that, how are you getting on anyway? Ah, Jesus. Flying it. Absolutely flying it. Ordered some new toys again this week, believe it or not. Oh, no way. What did you order? Yes, yeah. So I ordered a new uh, housing, underwater housing for the EOSR. So we're getting the DSR underwater now scuba diving quite soon. Can't wait. Should be here in about two weeks. So exciting times lie ahead. Oh, yeah. So I expect the podcast to talk about more shinies that have entered your house in the near future, yeah? Yeah, sure. We're doing an episode on the dive show next week. So we can talk about it more then. Hopefully you'll have it by then. Then you can actually talk about it and touch and feel it, yeah? Mm-hmm. So enough of the chase anyway, right? So we have a special guest on this evening. And for anybody that doesn't know, number one, get out from the rock that you've been living under. If you're into photography, you should have heard of this fine gentleman that we'll be talking with this evening. But without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest. It's Mr. Thomas Heaton. Thomas, how are you, buddy? Uh, Very well, thank you. How are you? Very good, thanks. Thanks a million for coming on to the uh, podcast. You know, we've been talking about you a lot on a number of the episodes in the past, and we've been talking about you with other guests as well that we've had. So we're delighted that you've managed to spend the time and come on board with the podcast with us this evening. Well, no problem at all. Um, but yeah, I, like we mentioned before, we discussed whether or not this was going to go out on video. And if it's not going out on video, then I think we're fine and we could just breeze past this in the edit. But uh, if it is going out on video, I feel I need to explain uh, explain my outfit here. You know, let's just uh, let's get this out of the way before we uh, continue. So, uh, yeah, this is my evening podcasting attire. You see the uh, the fleece material helps deaden the audio, so there's less reverberation. Very good. And, of course, the uh, the eyes help with the, uh, you know, focus. the eye contact with the camera. The yeah, focus, focus yeah. right. That's yeah. it. Face detect on my iMac. <laughs> very good. Very good. And, and tell me this. Where did you get it so I can buy one? I got this from my wife. So tell her to buy me know. one. I'm about the same size. About six foot, yeah. five foot eleven. Okay, well, yeah, maybe you could just have this one. Yeah, it's got a few go. tea stains on it. That's all right. I'm okay with that. <laughs> and come here, uh, Thomas, I suppose, before we continue, just in case anybody doesn't know who you are, give us a brief overview. Who is Thomas Eaton? Uh, well, I'm a, a landscape photographer, um, just like anyone else. Love being outdoors with my camera, hiking and camping and that sort of stuff. Um, and well, quite a few years ago now, I happened upon YouTube Um and I guess I got quite lucky and I, uh, I made a landscape photography video, sort of behind the scenes of how I go about taking an image. And it, it seemed to take off and do quite well. And the rest, I suppose, is history. So I'm a landscape photographer who um, pretty much markets my work on YouTube. Yeah. That's awesome. Very good. And come here, tell me this. Like, um, when did you, or how, how did you get started in photography? Like, it was, was it true filmmaking or did it just something that fell on your lap? Like, did you go to college or? 
you know, tell me a bit more about your photography. Yeah, I, 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 remember, I remember the specific moment. Um, <laughs> I was in school, um, so I would have been in year 11, so maybe 15, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I, we had one of those sort of career days or, you know, w- what to do after school, what do you want to do next? And there you've got the tables mm-hmm. where you, there's plumbers and electricians and all of the trades. Um, and that was not anything I wanted to do at the time. But the problem is I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I wasn't very good in school. Um, I was quite a bit of a mischievous young schoolboy. And okay. uh, my English teacher my English teacher said, well, why don't you consider media studies? And I was like, okay, well, what's that involved? And what did she say? She said it involves television. <laughs> I was like, oh, perfect. I'm going to go and watch TV and, uh, and films, and, and that will be my education. So, uh, lo and behold, I, I signed up to my local college uh, to do media studies. But it wasn't media studies, actually. It was media production. Um, and they had all the TV studios and the camera gear and they had a dark room. Um, and I just remember taking a film camera out. God, I can't remember what camera it was. I wish I knew, but um, just a very basic 35mm film camera. And it was just like, just unleashed my creativity. You know, I was walking around the streets of Blackpool, which is where it was uh, in Lancashire, and just photographing everything and with each shot I was getting more and more creative I mean they were terrible you know they were overexposed and blurry but I thoroughly enjoyed the process but the best bit was going into the dark room and developing the film and processing it and then printing it um, on the light table and seeing her image come to life that was pretty cool and it was that that got me hooked and you mentioned a second ago there as well, then, that, you know, you recorded your first video for YouTube, which was going out into the landscape, going in behind the scenes. That was in 2014. Is that correct, yeah? Yeah, it will have been late 2014, so just before Christmas. Uh, yeah, that was that was great. That's probably the best decision I've ever made. You know, there's, mm. um, there was, I, remember, I specifically remember not having any gear. Uh, to film with so I just used a a mobile phone and I had a selfie stick and didn't realize until it was too late that I didn't actually have the attachment that goes on the selfie stick so I ended up taping it on and yeah (laughs) it was uh, a bit of a hodgepodge uh, video but it seemed to go down well and I suppose on that note then you mentioned besides the gear of an evolution point of view because obviously you use different cameras now to record but how has your photography evolved since 2014 do you think or how has your youtube or your video making evolved since 2014 do you think uh well photography has definitely evolved um you kind of i think all landscape photographers go through the the same stages of landscape photography it's that kind of uh discovering that your lenses your kit lens isn't the sharpest and then discovering mm-hmm. what sharpness is and, and then you become obsessed with sharpness and then you you, you discover HDR and then that phase goes on for a little while. Thankfully it and then goes you, off, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the, that HDR always comes back down. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, then you, and then you start to learn more about composition as subject um, and then you go out and shoot the classics because, you know, they're amazing and obviously the, the classic views are classic for a reason, right? Because they're really good so you get, yes. you get all of those images and then those classic views start leaving you feeling a bit less fulfilled than what they used to. Um, so you start then trying to find your own classics and make your own images. And I suppose that's the that's the general timeline of a landscape photographer. Yes. Um, or it was for me anyway. 
So you start to be uh, start to become less fulfilled with the bigger vistas and start to try and find your own compositions and your own uh, images that just give you a, more of a sense of satisfaction. They're not always as immediately appealing as the grand bright orange sunset, um, yes. but they they certainly uh, help with the creative process. And when you get a good image that you know hasn't really been captured before um oh it's very satisfying uh with regards to video that's evolved as well you know you just i don't watch a great deal of other photography channels on youtube so i the the, the most of the videos that i see are actually my own because uh, i edit them all day and over a period of time you start to learn what i well i start to learn what i like and what i don't like and again i've gone through phases of trying to be Casey Neistat and being upbeat and, and super hyper. But, you know, in the end, um, what really, what I really enjoy filming and editing and watching uh, are really, really slow videos. So, you know, the, the sounds of everything around you, you know, what having a video that only contains one image stretch out over 15 or 20 minutes, not so you can stretch out the time so you get those minutes watched or anything like that, but just so people get the real full experience of what it's like to be out there. Um, and I love going out and putting all of the effort into a nice video um, and really going the extra mile. And you don't always get the opportunity to do that, but sometimes you do. Um, and it's, it's fantastic. So nice and slow and considered approach. And I suppose from my point of view, just watching your videos, you know, I think I've seen it's very similar, I suppose, to, to myself is that I, I find areas that I like and I repeat them. But you seem to have an ability to evolve past that to create new viewpoints and create new ideas. So you've I don't know if you still bring it with you or not, but you started bringing a slider with you on some of the shoots. So that gave you a nice panning movement, which brought another huge, I suppose, area of dynamicness to a, not a flat image, but to a static image. And is that something that you do consciously from looking at others? Or as you go, you know what, this could be good and I'll give it a go and I'll try it. Yeah, I mean, I, I do um, obviously take inspiration from other uh, videos that I see out there, not necessarily on YouTube, but I really enjoy cinematic videos. Mm -hmm. I like videos that make me feel like I, that inspire me to go out and do something you know whether that be going out on a bike going for a run going out with my camera anything and i find that the, the more effort that i can see being put into a video the more i appreciate it so actually i've got a video coming out tomorrow which okay. is we're probably talking past tense now if this uh, yep. podcast is friday at least <clears throat> all right so yeah so last wednesday um yep. and that that video man i loved it because i had i had a full well i had a full day two days to make that video um, and I knew I knew what I wanted to I knew the image that I wanted to capture more or less and I just I felt like all the videos I've been creating recently have been either whilst I've been out hiking or on a workshop or with other people and when you're with other people you can't really get stuck into filmmaking because there's you've always got to be conscious of everyone around you and what they're doing and where yes. they want to be so it's like my last video was a GoPro strapped on my head and that was it nice and easy uh, although that that actually got really good feedback um, so I was I was itching to get out the slider which I got you know get the drone up I shot multiple cameras every shot has two or three different angles every 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 unzipping of my bag is recorded beautifully and I've created this really nice really nice film and that's what I love doing the most it's just so difficult to do because 
you know what it's like if you're if you're chasing the light and an image is unfolding in front of you. It's not always easy to uh, juggle many balls at once. You mentioned about the head cam there as well, but I tried that in our recent trip in the Dolomites. I had it pointed one tiny, I'd say maybe three or four millimeters down too much so you couldn't actually <laughs> see what I was talking about. So it was actually, you could just barely make out what I was doing. But of course it was done, but you seem to get it right every single time. So, you know, hat tip to you on that one because you inspired me to be able to try that myself. And I really enjoyed the one that you did recently as well when you were running and gunning. And it really came across as is, it was action, you know, it was, there you are, you're flying the wall, you're on your shoulder or you're on your head following you along and, along and seeing everything that you were doing. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. It's quite good. Yeah, it's just uh, the whole GoPro, it's just experience. You know, I've, I've put it on my head and filmed and uh, did the same thing. You can't see the horizon because it's pointing down just a little yeah. bit too much. So you just start to yeah. learn. And what I'm doing is if you could actually see me, right, I'm not like this. I'm, I'm kind of like this. So my okay. head is always tilted up because I'm very much aware that it's slipping down my forehead. Yeah, the things we do. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. All these things, it is very time consuming, but at the end of the day, it's the end product that you're trying to produce and, and you're doing it quite well. But one thing that I would love to know, and I know it's, it's an ancillary kind of product that, that doesn't really involved youtube but your camper van has that been a game changer game changer for you and what does this enable you to do uh, from a youtube perspective uh absolutely the camper van is great i mean i i'm very lucky to have a camper van or not necessarily lucky to have one but lucky to be in a position where i can use one i always wanted a camper van forever as long as i can remember since i was like 19 and going on weekends away down to Cornwall surfing and I'd be looking at all the camper vans wishing I could have one and I wanted one for many years but thought I would never have the opportunity to use it it would sit on my driveway for you know months at a time mm -hmm. uh, back mm -hmm. when I had a full-time job but having one now is so good I mean I, I use it completely illegally <laughs> like, I should not camp in all the places I camp but the truth is no one cares I'm not doing any harm I just yep, sleep overnight exactly. and you yep. know um, but yeah, the, the, the van is like, okay, so I want to go and shoot a location, but I don't know where the weather's going to be good, you know? So you think, oh, wow, there's, you know, the UK may get like, um, so a cold front moving in where there's going to be mist and frost, but you never quite know where it's going to fall until the last minute. And if I've got the van, then right, I can go there, you know, Scotland or the lakes, or I can head south to the Peak District. And I don't need to worry about finding hotels. I don't need to worry about pitching my tent somewhere that I shouldn't be pitching it or in the rain. So it's that ultimate flexibility. And again, this comes across in my video from last Wednesday, which is actually tomorrow. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, it comes across in that video because, again, the, it's just... The, the, having the van and having that safety that that den to just you know retreat to when when it's cold outside and mm. and when there's a storm blowing so yeah it's fantastic that's cool that's cool you mentioned cornwall there and uh, i'm in fact this program for the last few weeks called uh Poldark. Captain Ross Poldark, I don't know if you've watched it or not. It's on I've never watched it, no. It's a, it's a historical kind of romance, drama. You know, it's very, very good. Uh, it's back in 1781 to 1801, I think it was. But it's based in Cornwall. And ever since I've watched the programme, I've been mad to get to Cornwall because the scenes in of the, the, the programme itself is just unbelievable. It was the same when I saw... Um, 
or The Last Kingdom with Bam Bamborough Castle. And I was just infatuated with that, and I went over to see it, and I, I loved it. So Cornwall would be my next port of call, I think, when I get to England. So you mentioned it there, going down surfing. Is it really that beautiful as it shows in the TV programme? Oh, it is. I haven't been for a long time, though, I have to be honest. Um, and we went to Newquay, which, <laughs> well, it's not it's not the most, um, you know, it's a bit of a party town. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, Cornwall and Devon, that whole coastline, if you're into seascapes, you could pretty much, you could tour from South Wales and Pembrokeshire all the way down through Devon and Cornwall. I've probably missed out a county there, I'm not sure. Um, but, yeah, there's that whole coastline. Um, is it's just full of hidden coves mm. and roads that are not wide enough for a vehicle, you know, like yes. flanked by seven foot hedges either side. It's full of that. And although, do you know, I've I've never, yeah, I've never photographed there. This is There's before. Be, this is before photography. But uh, yeah, mm. I would love to get down to Cornwall. The problem is, the problem is though, Cornwall is 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 further away than the northwest of Scotland. So whenever well, I'm given okay. the choice of southwest England or northwest Scotland, I always go to Scotland. It's a bit closer. It's it's a lot emptier, and uh, the scenery is just fantastic. You mm. never know. You never know. You never know. Yeah, tune in soon to Thomas Heaton's channel. You see Cornwall, the return, the long lost return. Well, I really, I do. <laughs> I really want to do a, a tour of the UK. I want to do maybe I'll do the whole like uh, John O'Groats uh, to Land's End thing. You know, oh, I yes. think that'd be great. Like, you know, because it's it's nice as it is to travel uh, to exotic places. I hate traveling. I just can't stand it. So you know, <laughs> why not why not do a UK series where I just you know do yeah, all the all the idea. best places in the UK. Yeah, good idea. And I, Thomas, I suppose one thing for me is you know I've noticed you have an incredible work ethic. And something that I've been saying myself is that, you know, in landscape photography, there's no such thing as bad conditions. And considering you've captured some incredible shots in the most not ideal conditions, is it safe to say that you'd agree with that statement? Uh, about the work ethic or the conditions? <laughs> Definitely not the work <laughs> ethic. Um, <laughs> as you can tell. Yes, of uh, course. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, the conditions. I don't know. I mean, there are the whole phrase of there's no such thing as bad conditions. Um, yeah, it's kind of true. You, you should shoot to the conditions. There, you know, there is a bad location. There are bad locations coupled with bad weather. You know, like if you if if you're going out to shoot a mountainous landscape and it's just flat grey skies, then it's terrible. But if you are in the woodland, for example, then it's much better. Uh, so yeah, you, you should always be able to make great images, whatever the weather. But I think my problem is I get fixated on the weather or the conditions I'm hoping for, and then I get a bit a bit down downheartened when those conditions don't materialise, and I just kind of lose the will sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I can I can quite often just sulk and say oh i'm not, oh, I'm not I, I can't shoot this that you know the light's terrible um yeah. and it's all to uh, my photography my very much depends on my mood um if uh -huh. i'm feeling productive and and creative i can shoot anything in any conditions but a lot of the time i'm probably just feeling sorry for myself so. it's okay thomas because i get sulky from time to time as well so you're not alone we, we can pull through this together don't worry about it buddy, that's right? good that's good to know we're not alone that's yeah, an important yeah, thing yeah. 
Ask Darren, he'll tell you all about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know what? And actually, it's interesting you mentioned that, Thomas, because I received the uh, email today from the F4, which we'll talk about later on in the podcast. But there's one of the things there where you were saying to go somewhere and then the weather conditions weren't exactly as you want them to be. <laughs> and then you started going into a, a diva moment. But you very quickly went, hang on, actually, this is actually not a bad one. From what I can see on the email, I know it's only a teaser, but yeah. It's still it's still alive to this day, I think, in regards to not having the best uh, conditions, yeah? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, the, the truth is, yeah, that diva moment, that was uh, that was a caricature, I think. I think what, what had happened is we'd, we'd spent 10 solid days in the rain and we finally got the go-ahead to go to California. And in my head, I'm thinking, California, sunshine, the desert, it's going to be warm. And we got there and we got hit by, <laughs> we got hit by an Arctic blast. And Which it was wow, these lizard, Christ. whiteout conditions, minus, I think it got down in the nighttime in that piece of oh, crap caravan no thing. I think it dropped to minus 11. Oh, my God. So... Right. Uh, yeah, minus eleven and um, about a foot of snow overnight. So yeah, it was, it was great. It was phenomenal, and I wouldn't have asked for anything else. But it was just so unexpected. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what has been the hardest and most productive shoot that you've ever been on? And it can't be that California one. Ooh, hot, oh, it's, yeah, this is easy. It's got to be Nepal. Uh, high trekking through Nepal was just <laughs> so hard the hardest thing I've ever done um, and it, it was it was actually quite productive in terms of uh, video storytelling and imagery actually um, even though it took me like five or six days before I really started taking images uh, but yeah it was just so challenging because of the altitude and did you print mm. did you train for that altitude no you can't okay. <laughs> unless I was to buy a, one of those <laughs> I don't know decompression chambers or something. No, I live on the on the coast, so um, I live at sea level. So yeah, yeah. I, I went I went from uh, yeah from sea level to hell in one in one go, <laughs> and okay, suffered so, the consequences. <laughs> How high were you when you got your altitude sickness? I was four thousand eight hundred meters, which is pretty high. It's definitely okay. the highest I've ever been. Um, and did you have to? Hike, did you walk all that 4,000 meters or did you get some bit of a lift, uh, like a cable car of some sort, or was it just yeah, all we, strenuous? Well, you take a you take a prop plane from Kathmandu to um, Lukla. Lukla is the start of the trail. There's no roads or anything. So uh, from that point on, you're totally on foot. And I think Lukla is 2,800 meters, but then you drop down to 2,400. Oh, yeah. So yeah, from 2,400 up to 4,800, so... But it was just unfortunate that I got sick. Yeah, you know, during the the day where we were supposed to cross over the mountain to the next valley, I was fine the next day. And you know, once I descended, I then went back up, and I was all good. Uh, but just that one period, it was you know, and it was cold as well. And oh my god, the accommodation! You think you've stayed in bad accommodation? <laughs> you've seen nothing until you do the Everest base wow. camp trek. Oh my gosh, no running water, no heating. Would you no like toilets. to give us another crack? Uh, I don't think I would. No, I feel no. I feel like the photography was, although good, uh, was not varied enough because um, you can't go and explore. You know, you can't see something and then just go and walk and hike up to it and mm-hmm. maybe find a nice composition because, well, you can't, you're always in big valleys and you mm. basically you shoot what you see. Um, mm. So... I, I think 
I think I'd probably leave that one for now. And I think probably <laughs> foreground interest was probably something very hard to find as well. Just looking at your videos, you know, when you came down to a kind of a plain area, fine, you had something. But if you're looking, as you say, in that big vista, you've got a void below you because you're on a high path. So you, you are really restricted from the composition point of view, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Foreground interest was difficult to come by. Uh, there were a few opportunities, but what I found was with, with the foreground, it would if you shoot in a wide lens, then the, the, the main subject, which are the mountains, they just become so stretched and far away and, and, and they come, you know, they, you lose the scale. Uh, so I found that it was best to shoot with a sort of medium to long lens and, and just really compress that perspective and, and really show off the mountains. Cause that's what you're in awe of when you're there is, you know, the way the light's hitting the mountains and the way the weather is rolling off them and interacting with them. Uh, for me, that was where the main photography was and you'd lose that with the foreground, I think. And I suppose one thing that you did there for that trip as well as you brought uh, Fuji with you from a, a weight point of view, you know, and myself and Dermot were both Canon fans, you know, so we're Canon fanboys. And we see that you've gone through a number of different camera manufacturers over the years, but you keep going back to Canon or have you? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're still using the Fuji. But from that point of view, is there something about Canon that keeps bringing you back to Canon over and over again? Or are you still open to change regardless um no i'm very very open to change um i'm not too brand loyal however i have shot with i've only ever shot with canon only you know it's the first camera that i ever purchased and the thing with canons are they they do what they do very well um and they just they just work you know <laughs> like my canon 5d mark 4 has been to hell and back and it's just bomb proof i mean look yes. at my little m50 i mean fair enough the kit lens eventually died after about two years of full-on abuse but i have put this camera through things that it should not have gone through and it just keeps on rolling you know just keeps on shooting snow rain wind it's been dropped um it's been it's i put it uh, i put it on the side of the road to get a drive-by shot in my van and crash through a puddle and the puddle hit the camera and just full on, <laughs> full on tidal wave. And it just keeps rolling and it's not even weatherproof. <laughs> it just, so Canon's reliability is unbelievable. And yeah, I just, I just, I'm very familiar with them. Um, and I'm very excited about the new mirrorless that's uh, being talked about at the minute. But I'm not. Yeah. yeah, I'm. I'm not one. I'm not a pre-order guy. I'm somebody who waits and waits. see. Yeah, just wait to see how it how it works in the real world. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're an inspiration to many, and you're the godfather of landscape photography to vloggers. Um, do you know, I, I watch you quite a bit. Darren watches you quite a bit, and uh, a few others in our groups and all that. There always seems to be watching you, and you're very, very popular. How does this affect your day-to-day -day photography now, like? Uh, you mean how does how does YouTube affect my photography? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. Uh, oh, it definitely affects it. It's um, see, if I wasn't doing YouTube, if I was just going out to f take pictures uh, without making a video, I'd probably take many more images and I'd probably experiment a bit more and I'd try things. But the thing with video is when you're out making a video, a certain, you know, you invest a certain amount of time and effort into that video. 
so you have to be sure, or as sure as you can be, that an image, the image in that video, is going to be a good one, so that the whole video is, you know, comes together and, and is mm. good for the audience. So it's it's kind of, it's a, I suppose, it's a bit like shooting film. Um, you know, if you're shooting like large format film, and every every sheet of film that you expose is going to cost you like five pounds or ten pounds or whatever, you'd be very selective about what you choose to photograph and it's the same with vlogging because for every photograph i take i have to show the behind the scenes of the image so shoot all the b-roll of me setting up the camera maybe fly the drone a bit talk to the camera about what i'm shooting why i'm shooting it why it got my attention and then photograph it so it's not just turning up and taking a photograph and then trying something else you know you're committed to that image by at least 20 minutes maybe 30 minutes and if you're shooting in morning light or in evening light that's your window gone. So uh, YouTube has forced me to slow down and really consider my photography. And that I think is a good thing. Once you get used to the video side of things, I think, you know, it's at first it's you're juggling a few balls, but after a while it just becomes second nature, just like, um, yeah, just like driving a car. Mm. And, and staying on the, the, the being popular on YouTube, have you... Do you ever walk down the street and get, hey, there's Thomas Eaton or whatever, and pull it? No, are you famous, basically? Like, do people pull out of you for uh, pictures or autographs or anything like that? Uh, yeah, in some places more than others. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. In Iceland, Iceland's uh, great. If I go to Iceland, I feel like a, I feel like Keanu Reeves. <laughs> everybody knows me because everybody there is a photographer. Uh, but yeah, I get recognized um, a lot, which in some situations is fantastic. You know, if I'm out with my wife and we're having dinner, um, or my parents, I've got so many stories though. But yeah, if I'm out with my wife uh, and somebody comes up and wants to get a selfie, then I feel like really smug and I'm like, yeah. Uh, but, you know, you have good days and bad days. And sometimes <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm out photographing and filming and I'm frustrated because I can't get an image and then I see a group of other photographers and I'm kind of like, I'll sometimes I'll just put my hood up and you know, <laughs> pull my T-shirt over because I'm just you know, tired and having a miserable time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, day-to-day -day life, not so much. But when I am where there are other photographers, then, yeah, most of the time it's great. I've met so many people and, and had a lot of uh, good conversations and good banter. That's cool. That's cool. Brilliant. So, look, uh, Thomas, we're going to take a quick break there and uh, we'll be right back with part two after a word from our sponsor. Canon, Nikon, Sony, all great batteries, but at a great cost. Extreme batteries from Hinnell are affordable and have increased ultra-high capacity, extra durability in stream conditions, shock-absorbing construction, and better yet, they even come in orange. Get yours now at Hinnell.ie. And you're very welcome back to the second part of the Irish Photography Podcast with our special guest, Mr. Thomas Eaton. And Thomas, thanks very much for giving us a nice insight to the early part of your photography and your YouTube career. And, you know, you we mentioned there in regards to your incredible work, work ethic. And I've seen in recent years you've managed to release two videos almost every week. How do you manage to do this? Well, uh, with great difficulty. It is. It's been challenging. And um, I think... Uh, I did it for about a year, uh, two videos a week. And then after a while, uh, it just became, I got to the point where I was uh, rushing to put out uh, that second video. Mm -hmm. And I knew that the quality just wasn't quite there. So uh, it would usually be a video of 
me out in the field on a Wednesday and then perhaps um, an office video on the Sunday. And it got to the point where the office video on a Sunday, I just, I just didn't, I was, didn't know what I was talking about half the time. <laughs> and I, was, I would film an entire video and delete it and then feel guilty about not putting it out there. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to go back to doing what I love to do, which is being out in the field and making those videos. And then if a subject that should come up that requires, you know, that suits me being in the office, then maybe I'll drop that out on a Sunday. So I've basically taken all the pressure off myself mm-hmm. um, and just gone back to one a week. But yeah, I did two a week for about a year. And it, for the most part, it was it was great. But I kind of just feel like I, I, I don't know, I just ran out of things that I felt sort of, I don't know, that I felt was adding value to the people watching it. Mm. Um, it just yeah fell off I suppose and it's interesting you say it that you know you prefer to put out quality as opposed to quantity I imagine so if you're putting out a video for the sake of putting out a video not not only are you putting yourself under immense pressure to be able to do that record it get it right get it edited get it out but then if you're as you say not happy with it when it does go out do you feel as if you're just kind of spinning a wheel and putting unnecessary pressure on yourself when actual fact go for less is more and I can actually do a better job, not that what you've done has been bad, by the way, but you could do a better job of pushing stuff out there and be happy with it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's nothing worse than putting out a video that you know isn't that good. Uh, <laughs> I've done it a few times, and that's kind of the whole feeding the beast or feeding the machine thing. Yes. Um, but the truth is, I think it's it's less damaging, a lot less damaging to not put anything out there. Uh, because you're only really as good as your last video you know if you got like um, say 20% of the people watching the video are, have never seen you before or well probably not 20% but maybe even just like 10% um, mm-hmm. that's going to be their first impression of you and if that, you know you can get all of these statistics on YouTube and see exactly who's watching and and yeah if, if a lot of those uh, views are coming from suggested views which is where YouTube puts the video out to people and then they watch it and it's not a good video they're unlikely to ever come back uh, whereas you know if uh, if you don't put a video out, out at all then people just remember you for your last video which you know if that was good then fantastic so yeah another big reason why I stopped doing uh, twice weekly videos mm, interesting yeah good, no. good insight I'm going to ask you a question that you've been asked maybe a hundred times. I'm guessing, I'm just guessing, and I know Nick Page hates being asked this, but you've been photographed <laughs> in so many locations. We want to know here in Ireland, where is your favourite place and why? Oh dear. Uh, I, I love, love, love sand dunes, deserts, big open spaces. Uh, you know, the. Uh, to say Ireland, Thomas. He hasn't shot in uh, Ireland, so he's been to yeah, Northern, Northern Ireland. Ireland. Wait. I've only been to Northern Ireland, yeah. Right, <laughs> Sorry, okay, guys. Yeah, yeah. We'll give you a pass on that one. So go on anyway, finish your, uh, finish your answer. <laughs> well, what was I saying? Uh, deserts, yeah. Any, any kind of desert, desert sand dune place. Somewhere with nice shapes, minimalist, you know, nice warm weather, a wide open space like Death Valley or Namibia. Um, the Sahara would be fantastic. So anything like that, anything that's constantly changing, Um those those are my favourite places. The sand dunes in Namibia, by far. You know, if I could just click my fingers and go back to one spot, it would be Namibia. Yeah. Mm. To cool. the trees. 
to the tree area? No, the trees. Uh, trees. And I wasn't too impressed with the trees, um, only because I felt like I'd seen every conceivable composition yeah. before. Um, no, the, the sand dunes in a place called Swakopmund, which is like this weird colonial German town in the middle of uh, Namibia, but it's just surrounded by the most amazing sand dunes you've ever seen. Um, wow. So, yeah, I would, ooh, I would go there. Wow. So, actually, before... Before we move on to the next question, and you haven't been to Ireland yet, is it on your cards? Are you, are you going to come sometime? Yeah, it's always on my cards because I could just get the ferry over in my van and uh, I'd love to just do the West Coast. So, yeah, it's it's on there, but just like everything else, you know, I only get so many travel days per year yeah. um, before the divorce papers get filed. <laughs> so I have to pick and choose uh, yeah. pick and choose where I go and when I shoot and it's usually dictated either by the weather um, convenience or uh, epicness so yeah Ireland is, is definitely up there cool and I suppose Thomas you know you've started to not started you've been doing it for a while actually which is workshops and you've been doing workshops with other photographers and many many different places around the world and Running a workshop, as you mentioned a second ago, you're out on your own, you can do your photograph, you can get into the zone. But when you're with others, you're thinking in regards to them. So how has that helped your photography personally to be able to evolve, not only just by yourself, but do you, have you learned by helping others? Have you learned from others? Have you learned by being part of a group? Does the workshop just help the participants or does it help you as well? Uh, well, workshops, they're great. They, they help um, me probably <laughs> more than the participants <laughs> because uh, well, you've got your obvious things where a participant asks a question and if you're not completely sure of the answer, that you know you don't want to be that guy so you go back and you thoroughly research it you know technical things like do i need to have noise reduction on or off and and stuff like that and how does it work which you know i, I never really knew the answer but i think more than anything it it helps me um, because you learn so much from seeing and spending time with other people and seeing how they interpret a scene and the funny thing is in workshops, and I'll bet you a lot of photographers um, experience this, the people who come on these workshops do not need to be on those workshops. They are all fantastic photographers. I think I've only ever had one or two complete amateurs ever. Wow. Um, everyone else, they, they're just, they just love photography. Therefore, you're just immersed in this amazing landscape with a group of like-minded people and you sit around over nighttime, have some beers, you chat photography, you shoot photography. So you immerse yourself in photography for, you know, a week or two weeks at a time and you learn so much. You learn a lot about yourself as well and um, by meeting so many different people from all over the world. Uh, yeah, workshops definitely have helped me grow in confidence and uh, yeah, I've picked up a few photography tips as well, which Brilliant. seems a bit backwards. Bonus, yeah, yeah. yeah. Speaking of workshops, <clears throat> this uh, your alter ego, master photographer. <laughs> oh, master photographer, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so like you got to go to Patagonia with Greg, you know, actually such an awesome dude, like, you know, like where did this... Uh, master photographer give peace a chance come from <laughs> oh that was uh, that was just all completely ad lib um what happened oh man we were uh we were shooting down at one of the lakes in uh the in torres del piney national park 
And what it, the funny thing is with that lake, you'll have seen it. You'll, you've got the Quernos, which are those iconic mountains that look like two horns. Yes. And you've got turquoise, a turquoise lake in front. And you'll see images where there's driftwood in that lake, right? And you think, oh, what a fantastic location. What a lot of people don't know is that uh, that driftwood is... It, do, it doesn't get washed up on the shore. There's a fort you were surrounded by forests. Okay. So what the photographers, the photographers get this driftwood or this not driftwood, this dead wood from the forest. They get their piece and they walk over to the lake and they perfectly place it in the lake <laughs> and then they photograph it. And then the wardens come around at the end of the day and they remove all of the wood and they put it back into the forest. <laughs> so there's this constant battle between the park wardens and the photographers. And I always found it quite hilarious, and I never did like those photographs of the dead wood um, in, in the mountains because it was too contrived. Um, I much prefer stuff. You know, my general rule is like, I'm okay with like being on in Iceland and picking up small icebergs and arranging them in a composition, or perhaps moving a few bits of debris and stuff like that. But generally, mm. I tend to like to shoot things as I find them wherever possible, uh, with the exception of placing the odd leaf or something, which you know I'm all for. But yeah, I was just there was tons of photographers around, and they've all got the bits of wood, and they're all putting them in place. And I found one bit of wood that looked like a tree, and I thought I could probably dig this into the ground and get it freestanding, and then I would have this shot. A bit like the is it the Wanaka tree in New Zealand? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah and I just, all this was going through my head, and I was just thinking how ridiculous it would be. And then that that's what started off that video of the idea is that I'm shooting this tree that's been you know uh, petrified in the water for thousands of years, but you've got all this behind the scenes footage of me like burying it in the sand and putting rocks around it to stop it falling. Um, so I thought that would make quite a funny video. Uh, so yeah, I literally was just having fun. It wasn't preconceived or anything. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminded me of something from the from the office or something like you know. Just, <laughs> was, I think that's what I good. said to Greg. I said, "Greg, just imagine you're filming an episode of The Office." <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was brilliant to watch it. I think even the humour, you could see it coming through. And it was actually the pieces off camera that I enjoyed the most. That actually didn't contain you, believe it or not. So it was Brendan and two other participants were talking about the love of trees. And you see you in the background and you're arranging the tree and stuff like that. And you yeah. can see all this going on. And I was like, man, this is just gold. You know, and in fairness yeah. to, to Greg, I mean, you know, Greg has done, Greg, again, has been a previous guest in the podcast, but he's a great friend of ours, I suppose. And he's a great guy overall. But for him, you could even see, you know, you could hear it, that there was laughter going on behind the camera as well when he tried to keep a straight face to record the whole thing. So, oh, Greg's, Greg is terrible for that. Greg is the worst cameraman to shoot comedy because he just can't stop laughing. Yeah. You've constantly got to tell him, Greg, stop laughing, we can hear you. And then camera's shaking and everything. Oh, yeah, it was funny. No, I think that was, I was just poking fun at the whole Instagram culture, I think. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, well was done. Good. Well done to everybody on it. And I suppose, speaking of Greg, and now, you know, you've just, well, not just, you're back around around a month, I think it is, from your most recent trip to the US. And we now have the F4s. So we've got Nick, we've got Gavin, we've got Adam. Uh, and then you had Greg as the, the fifth element to record video for you guys on the road trip. So two questions, I suppose, really for you. Like, did the F4s come about from the, was it out of Mohab or out of Chicago uh, conference, first of all? And then is that where you first came up with the idea to kind of collaborate together? 
Um, I think I met Gavin at the Out of Moab conference, um, but it wasn't until we all got together in Canada, which was last January, Yes, uh, that we, we had such a great time and we all created such amazing, fun content. And uh, more importantly, everybody, our audience just seemed to really enjoy it. And we realized that, you know, maybe like photography doesn't have to be this rigid kind of stiff formulaic thing it can just be fun and 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 silly and uh, i suppose um a bit more theatrical um so we thought well maybe we could be like a band but instead of making music we make photography right so <laughs> that was that was the kind of the the idea and we wanted to get together again after canada um but we were also busy it's obviously not easy to do so we said well maybe if we make it an annual thing and maybe instead of filming a four vlogs we make something bigger something that's single not single-minded but one project rather than the four mini vlogs that we all do uh, for ourselves and i guess that's how it came about mm. and i suppose you know what can you tell us about the big secret or is there anything at all you can tell us about the Big Secret Project? I know there was a teaser released today via mail. I alluded to it earlier on, but can you get any, can you give us any exclusives? Oh well, if you'd signed up to the newsletter, then you will have received our first newsletter with a secret blog post, password protected. The password oh, I can't tell the password. <laughs> can't remember it'll be on there. Uh, yeah, password protected. Um, no, it's it's not a big secret. We. Um, we decided with that we wanted to make a, a landscape photography tutorial, like a course, right? Okay. A, an online course. But instead of instead of it just being, right, I'm stood here at this location, I'm photographing because the light's doing this, let's go back to the office. We thought, why not make it more of an more of a journey? than just a rigid course. So we have the four of us that have completely different photography styles. We've got Adam Gibbs, who's International Landscape Photographer of the Year, Nick Page with his unbelievable processing skills that I still can't get my head around. Same. We've got Gavin's yeah, Gavin's creative flair um, and his, his on-camera presence. And then, I don't know, he's just got me. I'm not even sure why I was there. <laughs> but we... Um, we yeah, we, we set off and it was it was just completely unplanned, which may be a good thing or a bad thing, but we essentially just did a, a, a massive road trip, like two and a half thousand miles wow. in a 1979 uh, decrepit trailer that's leaking and just the whole, and actually at, at the very end of the thing, at the very end of the uh, the, the road trip, the actual, the, the trailer did malfunction and completely just failed um but yeah we lived we lived in that trailer the four well the five of us lived in that trailer for close to four weeks wow and we just every day drove to a new location we didn't know what was going to happen we didn't know if we were going to be able to teach a good lesson on that particular day uh, we didn't know if we were going to get any good storyline footage, you know, because it's always a story, right? It's never just driving from A to B. There's always yes. a reason behind it. And it turned out that we probably are the four luckiest photography, photographers on the planet. You know, we got, we got conditions you could have only dreamt of. For example, the blizzard snowstorm at Mono Lake was just surreal mm -hmm. you know we got record-breaking waves at cape disappointment we got amazing lights everywhere we shot um and we were able to not only film you know educational content that's good value for people um but we did it in a way where if you don't even need to learn photography you already know everything then just sit back have a beer and just watch this ridiculous journey that we go on because <laughs> only only half of it's photography in fact only about 
I don't know if you if you include the post processing, it's probably going to be about yeah fifty percent photography with the post processing. Take away the post processing, it's probably seventy five percent just stupidity. <laughs> so That's yeah, awesome. it's, it's going to be good. And like you're you're such good crack together, but there's there's one thing that we've um like we've had all the lads on, like we've had Adam, we've had Gavin, and we've had Nick, right? And there was something that happened a few months back. It's resulted in, 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 a in bit Canada of, last January, the first ever trip. Yeah, uh, that yeah. yeah, right. So something happened, right? And what we're doing is myself and Darren are compiling each other's statements and we're going to make a judgment call to see who was at fault of this horrendous crime. So, uh, uh, word on the street, I think I know what you're talking Nick, about. <laughs> word on the street, Nick tipped or crushed Gavin's. Uh, gold-plated bmw we just wanted to get your side of the story to see because you're the last piece of the puzzle and i think that we can solve this heinous crime uh against humanity if you give your statement of the affair well i was i was there obviously i've, I've heard a few different conflicting stories already that didn't ring true with the events as i saw them mm-hmm. oh um, there we go now this, this yeah, okay go. let's go save the best for last one thomas yeah so I think I think I think last I heard is that Adam was in Gavin's car, but that's not true because it was me that was in Gavin's car. Adam was oh was Adam uh-huh. with Nick or was Adam in his van? I can't remember, but I do remember Nick honking his horn, yes. and then there was an impact where the front of Nick's car uh, made contact with the back of Gavin's car. Um, but you need to ask the question: What gear? was Gavin in he may have been in reverse I'm just saying Oh, might have been in reverse so as Gavin has gone to drive through the green light there is a chance he might have actually reversed back Nick saw him come in honked his horn bosh (gasps) interesting maybe I I don't know you know it's just that's my foggy uh, foggy version (laughs) of events there (laughs) I guess we'll never know okay so Right, right. Okay, so myself and the jury will have to deliberate and see what we come up with our findings, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let our the judges, or the the jury, the rest of the people know, uh, what's going, what our, what our decision is going to be. I look forward to hearing the decision. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. Well, look on that bombshell, guys. What we're going to do is we're going to take our uh, last break, and we'll be right back with the final part of tonight's episode. So back afterwards from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by BG Landscape Tours. Bernard leads photo tours and workshops north as far as Lofoten Islands, Senje, Faroe Islands, Iceland, Scotland. And as far south to the Italian Dolomites, Tenerife, Namibia and Botswana. And not forgetting our own beautiful homeland of Ireland. Find out more at www.bglandscapetours.ie And you're very welcome back to the final part of the Irish Photography Podcast. And Thomas, you know, we ask all our guests that are on the show for a funny photography story. And I'm sure you've had a number of them over the years. So I put it to you, Thomas Heaton, what's your funny story? 
Oh dear, this is, is always tricky to to uh, find a funny story because most of my photography is just me by myself. Yeah, you know, I might slip over, I might trip <laughs> over a rock or slip on ice, but it's, uh, it's never it happened. Yeah. But I, I, I do specifically remember one moment that I don't think I'll ever forget. Um, and I was in Iceland with a workshop, um, and it was uh, I, th- I think it was very male orientated workshop, and we are stood on a cliff edge, a remote cliff edge. <laughs> out to sea it's like a peninsula and we're all shooting with our 16 millimeter lenses getting this huge sort of coastline rocks waves crashing over the rocks that kind of thing and we're all there just minding our own business you know eight guys stood feet from sheer death definite death if you'd have fallen and one of the participants decided uh, to zoom into his image to check for sharpness. It's what you do, right? You take an image, you zoom in, and then you check, make sure it's nice and sharp. <laughs> and um, this, this guy zoomed into his image, and the next thing he's screaming out, there's a naked woman on the cliff! There's a naked woman on the cliff! <laughs> We're like, what? <laughs> and we looked on the back of his camera, and there is a stark naked woman stood on the edge of this cliff, miles away, wow. but zoomed in wow. to, to like... 10 times or whatever you could just see it's like no you have never seen five photographers whip out their 200 mil lenses that fast in your life every single one i turned around and just saw a flash of long lenses i couldn't believe it i was like come on guys so you've got all these you know you got the best landscape you've ever seen in front of you and everybody's scrambling around the bags to get their long lenses out so they can get a closer look and who's got, um, who's got the teleconverter it, who's got the teleconverter yeah exactly <laughs> So that was hilarious. It turns out it was it was a model. She was doing a photo shoot with another photographer, but they were just uh, probably a couple of hundred meters along the coast on the cliff edge. But that is not what you expect to see no. on a freezing cold, windy cliff edge in the middle of Iceland. Oh well, wow. the, uh, south Brilliant. southeast of Iceland. Brilliant. Brilliant. So yeah, that was. Oh, funny. Was it was it yeah. cold? Was it the winter time there? No. Uh, no, no, it's summertime, still cold. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, really yeah, yeah. Hot summers, it was still cold. Yeah. So every once a month, maybe we have this thing called a VSP. It's a very solid product. It's something that we use ourselves and it gets our gold seal of approval. Uh, I have loads of VSPs. Darren has not many because he's he doesn't buy much gear. I control but my Thomas, guess. you're my buddy in this kind of... Uh, <laughs> you're my buddy on this side of the game what is your vsp okay well, i'm going to be quite controversial with this vsp because uh, there are many things i could pull out sliders tripods tripod heads leveling heads all that kind of stuff but i i purchased something just a few days ago that i haven't actually taken out of the packaging yet it's here and uh, I met a gentleman in America who was very kind he watched my channel and he had this 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 thing attached to his tripod and I, I said what is that because that looks fantastic and I'll tell you what it is this if you are a landscape photographer youtuber or anything where you're handling multiple lenses at once have you ever done that thing where you change your lens and you've got one lens between your yes. legs and then the other one yeah well this yeah this is a small i would describe it as um it's like a pouch or is it is it, it's like a hammock it's a bit like a hammock and you attach this to the three legs of your tripod and it dangles oh. beneath the center column of your tripod and what it is is it's just like a little a little thing to put things in. So if you're changing lenses, you could just put a lens 
cradles in the hammock that swings underneath your tripod you could put on all manner of things there filters filter pouches remotes spare cameras you know if i'm doing video and i want to change lenses and everything's going off you know at any one point i could have three or four cameras on me most of them just end up between my legs or in my teeth um so this this is a little pouch and uh yeah i mean how good is that isn't that amazing that the amount of gear that you and I have between the two of us and you select a nylon basket? Yeah, that's it, a basket, yeah. Like a fruit basket, but for lenses. <laughs> Dermot loves it even more so I love because it, it has I orange it. on it. Yeah, yeah. No, I do yeah. love it. I love it. It's a great idea. Hold, hold it up there a second, Thomas, and I'll do a screen grab there so we can show it to... Uh people there you are you're modeling it perfectly there you go yeah perfect <laughs> so yeah it's, it's right. interesting with all the shinies but that's actually quite an interesting product and how much did it cost you uh, it was like 15 pounds and it, it genuinely solves a problem because i'm always okay I'll, I'll have my m50 in my hand mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm recording a piece of camera like this and then i'm like oh, oh what do i do and i end up more often than not just chucking it down on the wet ground yes now i've got this i can just place it in Switch lenses, do whatever I need to do. I am forever balancing filters on the edge of my camera bag, and they always slide mm. off. Not yes. anymore. And when you got that on the tripod, then can you close in the legs and it stays on the tripod, or do you have to take it off each time? I hope so. <laughs> That's what I'm banking on. Once it's on, I don't want it to come off. So, yeah, it looks like it's just it's not. It's going to sit in that weird little void between the three legs, and it's not going to get in the way. So yeah, absolutely. Brilliant product, actually very unusual product as well. So, you know, you can expect one there in probably Dermid's arsenal in the space of two weeks. How long did it take you to get delivered from Amazon? <laughs> a couple of days, was it? <laughs> oh, yes, next day. Next day. Yeah, yeah. You'll have one there next week. If it comes in complete orange, you'll buy two of them just in case. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's not shiny enough. Hang on a second. We'll see if we can get some, uh, for the American audience, some aluminum foil for it so that uh, it shines even further maybe, for you, yeah? Maybe you could get one of neoprene or a Kevlar. Oh, you could get a Kevlar one, then that would make it more appealing, maybe. Yeah, exactly. The neoprene, yeah. go for neoprene. It smells like a wetsuit. I'll definitely buy it in. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant um, uh, VSP, Thomas. Thanks very much for that. So, um, we're almost done. And I suppose a couple of things, I suppose, uh, that I'd like to know from you really is what's next for you so you've just come back from your big trip what's going to be coming up in the next couple of months for yourself uh well i've i suppose um, the main thing that i'm excited about is i've been working on a book uh, for about two years now not because yeah. i'm uh, you know not because it's that good it's just i'm that lazy uh, <laughs> but i finally 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 sent it off to be proofread um, and edited today Brilliant. So that's it. All all the text is done. It's like twenty thousand words. Wow. It's going to be over a hundred pages, fifty images, maybe maybe fifty five images. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, I've been working on it for so long, and uh, finally reaching the the end of that. So hopefully that book will be available in the next couple of months. Um, and other than that, it's just more of the same. You know, a bit of traveling, a bit more vlogging. Uh, yeah, the, the big F4 landscape photography epic, but that's not going to be till the end of the year before that's ready. So, yeah. And for those of the people that don't know who Thomas Eaton is, where can they find you on social media? Uh, <laughs> right. So I'm one of these terrible 
people who do not I don't have the same name across all of my social media platforms because I'm not that forward thinking uh, the best place is probably just on YouTube if you just go to YouTube and type in my name which is Thomas Heaton uh, then yeah yeah I'm sure I'll pop up and you can subscribe to my channel and watch all of my videos both good and bad yeah you, you must have a big pretty big back catalogue as well Thomas how many videos have you got in total on uh, YouTube now I, I... I honestly do not know the answer to that question. Um, no. Let's say, yeah, maybe a couple of hundred, maybe 300. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, 200, 300, somewhere around that mark, I would have thought. No wow. idea, though. That's something I'm going to have to check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're, you're banging them out like a machine. I have, I have 39. I have 145. 145? That's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, jeez. But I, I, I. That's three years, three yeah. years worth if you do one a week. Yeah, I've been doing one a week since September 17. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think so. so uh, yeah, there thereabouts, I'm not quite sure. But yeah, it's an enjoyment. I, I started personally because I wanted just to have a laugh with the guys and just show very similar again, take the piss and say, okay, look where I am, look how beautiful this is, blah, 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 blah. And then I got thinking and saying, if I make the videos, then my kids have something to see when I'm dead and gone. And then they know where I was, why I was gone in the morning when they woke up or why I wasn't there when they were going yeah, to bed. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, one of the things um, I'm doing with my book is uh, I'm putting little QR codes in the book. So every image that exists within a video, you can scan the QR code and then that'll take you to the video, right? And what mm. I'm kind of thinking is in like 100 or 200 years time, maybe this book will be on an old dusty shelf somewhere. Maybe someone will pick it up and scan it. And maybe I could put those QR codes on my gravestone as well. That'd be quite good. To see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that is kind of cool. Uh, I, have a, I have a few, a couple of nephews who are just like very young, about zero and three or something. And uh, yeah, it'd be interesting in 20 years' time, they'll be able to look back and see everything that um, I've done in the yeah. past, which is, I think, when you're doing content that's fairly you know, benign, which is what we do, mm -hmm. it's a nice thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking mm. forward to the future and that being part of it. Mm. You know, look, Thomas, you're awesome in what you do. And thanks very much for coming on to the podcast. Have a chat, I suppose, you know, in all different aspects of your photography and video and life in general. And I know Dermot has kind of alluded to it earlier on, but I'm going to put your question directly to you. What have we got to do to convince you to get across the water and come visit the Wild Atlantic Way and see how beautiful Ireland actually is? Because I know that once you do it once, you'll be bitten and you'll go, why haven't I gone there in, so, in all these years? So what have we got to do to convince you? Oh, man, just uh, wild Atlantic way. Is it camper van friendly? Yes. That's what I want to know. Can I just park up anywhere? Yes. And uh, not get hassled? Oh, there we go. Maybe what's the best time of year? It's got to be September, right? Yes. October? Yes. When the big waves start coming in, because my God, you get some big swells, don't you? Oh, we, we had some incredible stuff last week. We had two storms roll in. You both got the same storms, Kira and Dennis. But yeah, some yeah. of the conditions on the West Coast were absolutely outrageously good. And I couldn't get out, unfortunately. But Dermot, you got out, didn't you? Yeah, I have one vlog going live. It'll be live the day this, uh, the day before this goes live. So, yeah, it'll be on YouTube. I went out to Storm Kira. I got absolutely battered. But I came <laughs> home with two nice images. So I was very, very happy. I went out with not massive expectations to come home with an image. It was more of the experience that I was going for. And um, but look, I came home with some images, and I really enjoyed the experience overall. So yeah, it was good fun. I could barely stand up straight, but yeah, it's great. Yeah, and you shoot with a cannon, so you're safe in the knowledge that your camera is going to survive. 
which is always yeah, good. Very true. Yeah, very true. So, what's what's that place? Um, I don't know. The, I don't know the name of it. There's a very famous place on the west coast of Ireland where big wave surfers go. Sl- um, Sligo. So there's a there's a few. Yeah, that's there's the a one. Mullamore. Mullamore. Uh, they they have massive waves, right? But then the another awesome one is at the cliffs of Moher. It's at the base of it. So I'd often climb down to this spot. It's called Aileen's Wave, and this thing is just oh. It's it's insane. It's crazy, uh, ridiculously dangerous. But look, the, you get some of the best surfers in the world coming over for this wave. Like, like there's a, a documentary on TV. It was called Between Land and Sea, and it gives you a very good insight to, about surfing in Ireland and the Wild Atlantic Way and how it how it develops and the, the surfing scene. And just seeing it on video on that documentary was just mind blowing. I'll ha- I'll have to see if I can get a link for it somehow and send it to Tom. Oh yeah, that sounds great. I've got. I've, I think I'm addicted to wave photography after shooting Cape Disappointment <gasps> in. Uh, I, I, in yeah. uh, was it Wash? Yeah, Washington. I saw I the images Washington, there. Some of them, and my God, you got some incredible waves. That's the same spot that uh, Nick got his photograph of the wave yeah. with the birds in the lighthouse, isn't it? It's Cape Disappointment. We got. Mm. Yeah, the conditions that we got were uh, like ridiculous, like dangerous. Actually, it was. Uh, it was something like thirty foot. A thirty-foot swell with a king tide, and uh, the, all of the park wardens were there, ready to close us all down and kick us out because it, it was going to get too dangerous. But here's the best thing: as the waves were peaking, which is when they were huge and breaking, it was it was just storm clouds, right? Just just black grey skies, and it was nice, but there was no light, right? But then just this huge opening. Uh, to Brilliant. the uh, to the west or the east, I can't remember. I think it was morning time, you know. So yeah, huge opening to the east. So we got perfect perfect light, but your subjects, the waves, and everything in your frame was you know. I was the background was just black storm clouds, but you got off to the side, you got this golden light, wow. and oh, oh my god, when that happened, it was just it was all hands to deck. I you know do you want to know how many? I can't believe I'm going to admit this. Do you want to know how many images I shot in one session of photography? Bear in mind, I used to shoot about three. Go on. Uh, on. on. I won't even bother. I won't even try. Go on. I bet 500. 500, I said. I can't go back for it. It was was over 1,500. Wow. Jesus. (laughs) I know. I surprised myself. (laughs) That's how good it was. I surprised myself. I shoot 1,500 images at a wedding. Wow. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, it was it, it was that good. It was every wave was money. It was like wow that we had light, we had waves, we had just everything was perfect. Uh, yeah, I was. I didn't feel like it felt like I shot that many, but you know, I got back, loaded them into Lightroom, and I was curious. I would have, I would have guessed four hundred, but yeah, one thousand five hundred and thirty something. I don't know. Wow! Did you did you did you vlog there? I was a part of the uh, the the series. Or the, the course? No, it's part. It's part of the series. So, one of the lessons will be wave photography. So yeah, the four of us all lined up doing different things. Brilliant. And, but another another interesting uh, way. Well, one of the great things about photography is the fact that you can have four people shooting the same thing, and everything is just completely different. Yeah, it's, I, I love Seascape for that because every single wave is. There's nothing going to be the same. Okay, your foreground might remain the same, but that actually changes too because you get water overlapping it, and when you get huge waves like that, every single one of them is unique. It's fin- it's fantastic, you know. Yeah, 
yeah yeah it was phenomenal i've never seen anything like it so i want to i, I want that feeling again <laughs> how do i get come, it go to come ireland. to ireland it's only across the water we, you know we'll keep yeah. an eye on the storms for you and we'll let you know at a moment's notice and you can just hop on the ferry come over from holly holly head to dublin oh yeah holly head yeah yeah. yeah yeah for sure sorted go on David. i want to ask one more question before you go tom right and i'm putting you on the spot as well here now right you spoke of f4 a while ago gavin adam Nick and yourself who is the most fun to be around out of the oh, four of you well besides yourself uh, that's easy that's an easy question it's Adam without a doubt it's Adam is it he is he is just he is <laughs> what a guy what a guy he is we all had tantrums we all fell out uh, we were all on the edge of our friendship <laughs> apart from Adam he is just the glue that held the entire group together really and he he will do anything when Gavin has an idea <laughs> for a, a scene that we want to shoot no matter what it is uh gavin's like yeah i'll do that yeah i'll do that and i'm just like i'd i wouldn't do that but yeah so was, he's just he is is such a talent and his videos yeah are so subdued and his photography is is equally as subdued you know he's he's very particular about what he shoots and that and that's fantastic um but wow what a guy you know he is. He yeah. is just cool. Yeah, he is a good guy. Yeah, he nice guy, yeah. He, he he mentioned to us actually on the pod that uh, he was thinking about different things to do. And Gavin went, "Well, you want to do this?" He goes, "Yeah, okay, I'll give it a go." You want to do that? Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll give it a go. And then he went, "Maybe I shouldn't have done the one in the portaloo in the in the middle of the uh, yeah. wilderness." <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, wait till you see what we're going to in America. You um, think that's bad? Oh, I can't wait. Can't for wait. This. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. All right, well, look, uh, our time is up. Thomas, I'm uh, really delighted, I suppose, to have the conversation with you. And again, you know, like we said from the outset, thanks a million for coming on to the uh, podcast to have a chat with us. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. I did, I did. What time? Oh, my gosh, it's 10 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> so I must have enjoyed it. <laughs> I think I, I, I left uh, my, my wife downstairs and I said, I'll be back in about 45 minutes. <laughs> that was two hours ago. <laughs> it's a good chat. Uh, it's really yeah. good chat. So, yeah, look. Um, yeah, no, it's been fantastic. It really has. So thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, yeah, look, we'll be in touch with you. Don't you worry. When the storm season comes, I'll shoot you the mail and let you know so you can be ready to pop over for the uh, weather. We'll hold you to it. But I definitely think you'll enjoy Ireland anyway, regardless of the the banter so for me anyway thank you very much thomas and uh yeah hopefully we'll uh, we'll talk again soon yeah well thanks for having me and yeah maybe we'll see each other in ireland good job thanks a million time really do appreciate it buddy yes, bye. all right thanks guys long before hey guys if you dig what you're hearing why don't you jump over to itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts give us a five star rating and don't forget to share with your friends with all that done we'll see you next week and remember keep shooting